welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for <laughs> way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony. Thunder, feel the thunder, lightning and the thunder. <laughs> yeah, I'm going real modern, dude. Imagine Dragons, what's up? That is the first time I've heard you sing something made this decade. It begs for it. (laughs) Growth. And we are are here, we we, we are bringing the thunder with our second second episode of our Storm King's Thunder recap. But this time, we've gone big. We have not just me, Tony, and Dave on board, but we also have the other three players in the game. So you might have heard her from an earlier episode. We are joined by Bonnie. Yeah, so I'm Bonnie, and I've been on now twice, so I'm very, very <laughs> proud and excited to be here again. So I uh, had character of Wilhelmina Drago. I was uh, Roderick, a.k.a. Uh, DM Dave's sister, who was bent on saving her cursed brother and would do everything she could to protect him, even Wilhelmina- if it's hurting others. The curse breaker, as we found out later, which the rest of us I don't think we're aware of during the course of normal play. And we're also joined by Scott and Amber, the other two players in our group. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves and the uh, and the characters you played? Sure, uh, I'm Amber, and I played our human barbarian. He's an ancestral guardian barbarian, which I have never played a martial class before, and I've never uh, gone barbarian either. So this was a uh, this was a uh, an experience, gotta say. You played it well. You definitely did it well. Thank you. And I am Scott. I played Rome, a celestial warlock. Uh, this is my also first time playing uh, a warlock uh, in fifth edition. And I have to say, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, they are. It was, you know, the whole, it, it was a fun campaign. Thank you all for joining us on, on this episode. This is going to be neat to break this down. I think we all, I mean, I had a great time. This was a fun campaign. Is is, is that uh, is that the, is that everyone else's takeaway too? Like I felt like this was good. Yeah, it was all right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll take it all right rating. It 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 was fun. It had it all. It had role play. It had exploration. It had combat. It, the three pillars were hit, and uh, it was funny. There was a lot of genuinely funny moments in the in the game. <laughs> Not a lot of dick jokes though. That that's the one thing I think it was missing. From a lot of other games. Yeah. <laughs> did did we miss it? I mean, come on. When, when we do the Marvel podcast, we can come back to that kind of thing. That's true. That's true. Our Marvel Marvel works in a not exactly a dark and gritty universe, but more of a um, junior high school level humor. Well, I'm, I mean, they do all wear spandex, so you know it doesn't leave that much to true. be desired. That is, that is absolutely true. I can't argue with that. <laughs> you know, one of the things that strikes me is we're talking about this here. One of the things we talked about in the last podcast was how this particular, you know, DM Tony's version of Storm King's Thunder turned out to be very high magic. You know, higher than the book would have dictated, certainly higher than the other book modules were playing. But as we're talking about our characters, man. All the characters came in very high magic. We've got a celestial warlock who is actually like a like a cyborg from 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 space. We have we, we have the, the guardian barbarian who is effectively uh you know he, what, police sergeant dad rage right. I mean <laughs> I will say I was surprised actually just speaking on that I knew that we had a celestial warlock which was interesting to see because it allowed us to not have to have a cleric in the party because it's they're, they're equally seemingly as powerful in terms of healing magic but i did not know for 11 levels 
that Amber was playing an ancestral guardian barbarian. That is, is that, is that, that is Xanathar? Xanathar, I I Xanathar, Xanathar yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I did not get that at all the whole time. <laughs> well, that speaks to my inability to flavor, apparently. <laughs> well, actually, I got it because if, okay, so what I remember of this character was, it, it, this was Jacob and his, the deal was his family had been killed. So the ancestral guardian was actually his wife's spirit, right? Like he he was yeah. basically in touch with his wife's spirit, and when he raged, he was channeling the rage over their loss. Okay, I got that. I got that. I just didn't put it together. <laughs> and, but, it, but it's basically like I mean, he was like a middle aged dude. He was like a cop. Like it was Mike. It was like Michael Chiklis. You know, it was like it was just like a random like middle aged guy cop who was driven to being a barbarian because of the loss of his family. Is that am I, am I remember that right? Yeah, I, I drew a lot of inspiration from various other things. Like, I watched a lot of NCIS. Uh, so he's more of a detective than anything, because I gave him the investigator uh, background. So mm. he was our high-intelligence, relatively, barbarian, who really didn't like combat all that much. We had the barbarian who would rather stay out of the fight. That, that part was hilarious. Not stay it out of the fight, but definitely just talk instead. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the whole party kind of did that. We, we solved a lot with diplomacy. You know, we mentioned that last episode, too. But between between the barbarian, who's usually supposed to be driving combat, and Dave's character, who is basically just there to talk in the most circuitous manner really, possible. Really well. <laughs> really well, but, like, around the point. Oh, I yeah. Mean, like, oh, yeah. You never I, know what's coming. Rome had a, a few problems with Rod just because he always seemed to be just that, being labyrinthine in speaking instead of just going straight to the point. Rome was always about, hey, we're here to do this. Can we do this? Great. And I'll, as Rome was like, ah, and then Robin was like, well, you see, and then go on like point A to B to 12 to Q to 14 and had them so confused by the end. They're like, oh, okay. It was great. It was an interesting dynamic because we had a uh, three members of the party. So we had Zhang, Wilhelmina, and Rod, who were kind of in the gray areas of life, you know, Fair. to get the job done the way they need to when we played things close to the vest. And then we had the two goody-two-shoes, as we saw them in, in, in previous episodes. Uh, <laughs> so it was an interesting dynamic at times. We literally, we literally walked Scott, past the dragon horde. I remember seeing him shake his head, literally, as I'm speaking in the Roll Toy video. <laughs> And that was, so, so to get into uh, Rome's character a little bit, so, I mean, you seemed basically like you were a cyborg from space or something. Like, like you were, like, jacked into, like, the spell jam or computer system or something. Well, what, what happened, he was actually from Eberron, and some mishap basically killed him and sent him into ah okay a, a pocket dimension, the astral sea, whatever. And my patron found me and repurposed me. I guess resurrected more or less, and uh, I like the repurpose idea. It's like he, it's like he found a tower computer and turned you into a Bitcoin mining uh, machine. Well, <laughs> well yeah. considering I was going to be a, a bar jukebox bar, yeah, I was going to be called Wurlitzer before uh, I decided uh, on the warlock. But no, Rome's backstory was he was not unhappy with what he was doing. He just knew there was more, and he didn't know how to get there. And once that accident happened, his patron was able to uh, awaken the wonder of a new world. So, and mm -hmm. the fact that he helped people, that was just a bonus. 
And I don't want to skip over the uh, one of the biggest highlights of Rome, which is that at least in the beginning, he had a random accent and vocal pattern generator. So right. we had, I believe, a cowboy Rome. We, we 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 had we had a different Rome like every time. He had the Mid Atlantic accent at one point. Yeah. Uh, I was rolling for that. Every time I hit like a certain number on a D8, I would change it up. But the the flavor behind that was since he was again repurposed, he was trying to find his default, his base personality. So it wasn't on purpose, but it also wasn't quite as random as he he led on to believe he was just trying to find things that fit it was fun to play with it was certainly fun to have in the party it brought something cool to the table which brings us to you know the only character we haven't talked about yet is me is uh bonnie mina so mina was just kind of like a little bit dark a little bit mysterious like we're like okay she's roderick's sister and she is protective but it wasn't exactly like a river tam and simon tam firefly kind of deal like she was definitely the aggressive one of the party nobody's gonna get that reference (laughs) <laughs> Once we get a Firefly reference, I beg to differ, sir. There are brown cloaks, brown coats everywhere. So what was it? Yeah. Email us. Email us if you uh, understand the reference, guys. Yeah, so my character, based on a backstory that Dave and I kind of came up with. So he started yeah. to kind of play around with an idea, and then I formed the rest of it. And so then created the backstory, so then I had to fit the character to the backstory. So I ended up starting out as a sorcerer, uh, trying to find the Raven Queen that mm. when we leveled up, I went, uh, instead of continuing down the sorcerer path at level five, I switched to the Hexblade Warlock in hopes to, you know, get to her as my deity to save my brother. But yeah, anything I could get in front of him, he went up, even the most dangerous situations where I had barely any hit points and anything that could save my own skin. And I was right in front of him. like. Um, all right, this is what we're doing. <laughs> I, yeah, I yeah. kind of felt like my my real brother in life a little bit, where it he's was, uh, you know just going in. It was actually fun because I did I had this idea for Roderick for quite some time, and I kind of floated the idea of, hey, Bon, would you want to play like my twin sister, and like we could kind of have this whole thing. And she totally went for it, and it it turned into something kind of cool. And as a second point, uh, this is now, I think, the second time that you have done a multi-class of Sorcerer and Warlock. I think so, yeah. Without quite going all the way Coffee Lock, which I did warn the DM about. I'm like, look, man, look, there is a broken build in here. Keep an eye out for it. The Coffee Lock builds infinite Sorcerer points. (laughs) She hasn't discovered that yet still. No, No, because what's funny is I don't think there's ever been a game so far that I've stayed with one class. No, you haven't in previous. That's true. You do like to multi-class a lot. Yeah. Yeah. In Woodstock Wanderer, she's she's the same combo in Woodstock Wanderer, so maybe I shouldn't mention the coffee lock. Uh, (laughs) But there is... It, and just to, just to spoil this here and for our listeners, the coffee lock is uh, you take I forget the name of it. There's a there's an ability for uh, the warlock where you no longer have to sleep and you can because of the way the sorcerer spell points ability work, you can eat warlock spells to generate sorcerer spell points that go away when you long rest. So you get your warlock spells back whenever you short rest, which means you can just short rest and never sleep and gain infinite spell points. There are ways built in to, to, to basically DM around it. Like Sage Advice has come out and said, well, look, you can read this this way if you choose don't to. Worry, but it's, don't it's worry. Built- 
We will discuss this in later episodes when DM Thorin tells us how he's had to do it now that he's explained how it works to Bobby. <laughs> so, there we go. We'll, get, we'll revisit this in a later date. I bet you didn't know that so, that warlock saucer slaying arrows were a thing in this world, did you? No. Well, now you do. <laughs> but on a, on on the last note on that too, just because like this was an in, this was it was fun because we got to kind of build this backstory together. Uh, but what then changed? Because obviously, as I've talked before, I decided to role play making Constitution my dump stat, right? Which is not a great idea in Storm King's Thunder. Um, I mean, to the extent Tony allowed you oh, to hey. let that right. remain a dump stat. Exactly. And then, as we discussed in last episode, Tony uh, started to massage some things and, and add some, some interesting... Uh, that sounds dirty. But what was fun is as I started to level up and I learned things like polymorph and fireball and all this other mm -hmm. stuff mina who had this very direct um purpose was now becoming a little more like lost in her purpose and i think you had to kind of find like well now what the hell am i supposed to fucking do like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would literally say to myself and sometimes out loud like well okay i guess he's got this one so what should i do next <laughs> Which when, then, when, he turned into, when he turned into great ape, it just started smashing things. It's like it's hard to hard to get between him and that. Yeah. And I and I think around the time it started is when um Tony gave me the well, gave the party, but I kind of took it over the imp. And then <laughs> that was great though. Me and uh and Star was Star awesome. were just having shenanigans together, you know, with his devil juice and all that stuff. So it, it became my little pet in the end. <laughs> Somehow, Morningstar never even made our other conversation, but he was the party pet. It really, really mean as pet. It, Morningstar, for, for our listeners, was a tiny imp. Well, not tiny, but he was an imp who we got met in the haunted bar, which we did mention briefly. That is, uh, don't look for that in your Storm King's Thunder book, because there is no haunted <laughs> bar in the book version of Storm King's Thunder. But I in promise, Tony's, there was. 5%. I, or up to 60%. <laughs> But so so we wind up finding this uh, oh, alcoholic imp. We can't forget yes. that part because alcohol was an important part of this imp's uh, relationship yes. with us. Absolutely. And so so Bonnie, tell us more about Morningstar. All right. So I don't know if anybody has seen the animated series Disenchantment. Oh, that is actually exactly how I pictured him, to be honest. That's how I, yeah, yeah, that's how I pictured Morningstar. So I would interact with him the same way as the, the the little devil in that series. But most of the time, he just perched around my shoulders and kept me warm until, you know, I felt like he would be safe to do something, even if he could. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we I think we got to talk about this here. We, the rest of us don't know this vaunted backstory. At least I don't. Uh, uh, Scott, Amber, do you guys know their backstory? Did I miss something here? No, the Drogel backstory uh, just kind of came in with the brother and sister just a wink and a nod to each other, saying that Rod was sick and Mina was making sure that he was going to get well, even if it cost her her life. I mean, that was pretty much from the get-go. And then, you know, we find that the Drogels are actually... Not royalty, but noble birth. High nobility, yeah. High nobility, yeah. And th there's a whole miasma of stuff back there that could have come into play, but uh, pretty much ended up they subsumed their quest for healing Rod into Storm King's Thunder. So I thought that was pretty cool. I was going to say, then it dovetailed together where the quests 
came back together and everything, well, more or less, worked out. <laughs> yeah, I would like to talk a little about, because we kind of teased it a little bit last time, especially when Tony were talking about how there wasn't a lot of hooks in the in the mod as it was when you crack it open. Not ones that at least like kind of turned you on. And yeah. with all of these really disparate backstories uh, all coming together, I will say in a very similar light, though, to when we've talked about how we kind of, because of the airship and, and our Epcot-centered tour of Italy of the Giants, right? Yeah. We were hitting so many of these big epic things that I think sometimes we wanted some of our backstory. We wanted to, to role play it, but we weren't necessarily in situations where we could say, boom. So we would throw things out, but whether or not other people were getting it, like I knew about Jacob's, uh, you know, the fiery specter of his wife, but I didn't like put it together necessarily with like that kind of path of the barbarian or something. But like, I, yeah. like we got that story, but we didn't have as much of that time or we didn't um, spend the time or make whatever to kind of delve into that stuff. And then Zhang was just left being the, uh, the stranger in a strange land, right? For <laughs> 11 He was strange. We're like, yeah, he's like an Asian bugbear. Like, it's cool. Okay, yeah. You're not off the hook with your backstory. Like we're coming back to this. Swing your sword. <laughs> well, if you remember in the beginning, you wanted nobody to know you were sick. Yes. So you started yes. your quest of like, I'm fine, as you're coughing in your blood into a handkerchief. So, you know? I mean, so basically, though, your backstory was, um, you said it was based on the fall of the House of Usher, right? Absolutely, yeah. That's and that's why I was Roderick too. So it, the yeah. whole and then I was like, oh my god, a twin sister. Except she's not in a coma, and we can both be like badass superheroes. But we were a dying nobility, you know. Yeah. Just gonna make a just gonna make a prediction. More of our fans know the Firefly reference than the Fall of the House of Usher reference. I bet. <laughs> Write in and let us know. We no would love to hear that. That bar is low, sir. That's a Facebook poll. That's a Facebook poll. Do it. <laughs> right there. One so of the I mean, needs to be I know neither because I know neither. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, and, yeah, your, and your father's head falls. I mean. <laughs> He's used to it. Well, literature. I don't really like literature all that very much because most literature is awful. <laughs> give me give me fiction. Give me history. But gods, don't give me ugh, literature. Well, that's that's, that's, that's the house of butter, Fiction, though, just so we know. Yeah, well, yeah, but a lot of literature is fiction. I understand, though, but like high literature. literature. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, and, you know, a lot of people come into these games because we like pop culture. Uh, I do. I haven't read The Fall of the House of Usher. I do. I, I do like uh, certainly like me some some literature. Uh, what I've what I've read's been great, but it depends on what your tastes are. And you know, most people coming into these games, I think, are mostly coming in from the point of view of your cartoon kind of you know fantasy you know fantasy fans, Lord of the Rings fans, uh, people who are who, who kind of are used to that kind of uh, fantasy and pop culture, right? I mean, that's kind of really. Uh, I saw a meme today that I'm sure we'll use in a future article, but basically, yeah, I don't know how to improv. You've been preparing for this moment literally from the first time you watched a cartoon. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much what running a game is, <laughs> to, to a large extent. So, okay, but the Giraffe Hell's background. So, ancient nobility, based on the fall of the House of Usher, he has some kind of blood curse that's passed down generation to generation, right? Yeah. And so Nina the, has... The, the backstory I gave Tony was, in essence, that there was something that happened in the past that created this curse on the male line. And then, you then I, played yeah. With, uh, so basically, I gave him a backstory, a very detailed one, of how Nina came to figure out her sorcery 
aspect of being taken by your mother and pushed into a room with no doors in the darkness until the lights came on, so to speak. And so then it became then at that point, she gave the history of the female lineage of trying to break this curse from such a long time ago. So, and I went through the story of what the mother did, the grandmother did, and so on and so on. And in a similar way to when I talk about, like when I'm running a game where I will, for people's like care of, my players' backstories and stuff, I'll throw things out there. And if they want to take it, go for it. If they don't, that's cool too. But I really threw this stuff at Tony to, here, here's stuff, play with it how you kind of want to in your world. And he definitely did. He took it in spaces where I wasn't really expecting. So, well, I mean, this backstory has become legendary in this podcast. You've heard us <laughs> talk about before, about how the, the how you guys gave Tony this incredible two-page backstory that like he's like, I have to work with. So this is that backstory. If you've been with us since the beginning, this is the backstory Tony has talked about, about how he was blown away by this huge two-page backstory. And just I think around- it was the poem that got him. I think it was the poem. And it was actually more than that. Dave wrote like three pages and Bonnie gave me six. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) this is happening. But you did really good. Yeah, and you did really good because you ended up giving me the blink as a necklace so that way I can try and find the Raven Queen at any moment Mm -hmm. of time, even though it really wasn't part of the story. So you allowed me to have this necklace that I could do that. And so every once in a while, I would. So, you know, I thought it was great. To round this out here, I guess I should mention Zhang, although compared to the back, that backstory, compared to all these backstories, you know, I came in feeling like, yeah, that's a pretty good backstory. I got some good stuff to talk about. I don't know that that held up compared to the other backstories brought to the table. I mean, Zhang is a bugbear samurai. His deal was he was a he he was a bugbear in the goblin warrens, raiding towns, sacking you know sacking villages when they could, opportunistically picking off tax shipments you know and basically the goblin that that warren pissed off the wrong daimyo the wrong the wrong noble person in a Japanese type setting, and the daimyo sent his samurai in to slaughter them and he came himself slaughters all the goblins but Zhang fights bravely so he recognizes Zhang he brings Zhang back and beats him into submission and then basically trains him to be a samurai so Zhang's deal was that he was this feral you know kind of kind of bugbear from as you know almost like a high-end athlete who is kind of leaving the ghetto was a little bit back of my mind kind of as far as like how he thought about things except the ghetto had been destroyed and he was totally 100% aligned and behind his damio so he was totally you could say brainwashed in a way that I have been raised up I've been given civility he's lawful neutral he will follow his damio's words to the T, you know, if his name says they didn't pay their taxes, go burn down their village. He'd be like, well, they should have paid their taxes. That's good and right. And he would have gone and done it. And, I am um, <laughs> I'm not good. I'm lawful. <laughs> exactly. He was lawful, lawful. I find, not- I find lawful neutral to be one of the most interesting, interesting alignments to roleplay because it requires, like, it's such a good grasp on character. And I definitely think that came through 100%. Absolutely. Thank you. And all, I'm sorry, I was going to say, and also you could see, I don't know if you planned it, but you could pretty much see the goblinoid nature <laughs> warring with the Bushido that you, you've learned. Yes, I mean, samurai weren't nice. They certainly weren't. But I mean, you were, you could still see the feral peeking through a lot. And I, I, I thought that was a very neat aspect of how, how you colored the samurai class. 
Thank you. That was, and I was, I was going for that. Cause there, there'd be things like he'd be very strict and proper and say the right things. And then he'd turn around and grab a whole chicken and eat it off the table. Like he wasn't totally raised in a high culture environment. He didn't have the best manners that a samurai should have, but he had these beliefs. And you know, it, it was a lot of fun. He played, you know, I got to play with the bugbear reach and the pole arm. As he went up in level, I shifted away from being a samurai to being the, um, <laughs> battle master. Yes, the battle master. I'm sorry, what was that, Amber? Just we were just <laughs> reaching. We're doing no, yeah. reach. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I see Amber's, Amber's arms going medium, off. The but like, come on. I it mean, early ridiculous. on there was things like I'm like, yeah, early on there were things like you know, hey, that guy's on top of a, he's like he's like on the second floor above you on a balcony. I'm like, all right, I just reach up and grab him and yank him down. And Plasticity I'm powers. If we'd um, given you like a grappling so, gun or like a grappling hook gun, you would have been unstoppable. We figured out his jump. I could basically, someone could have been something like 40 feet up in the air, or no, I think 30 feet up in the air, and with the pole arm, I still could have stabbed it. <laughs> the reach was ridiculous. So I, with that, we've heard now from all the characters, but I, it's yeah. been very silent from the man who ran <laughs> all of this insanity into some sort of adventure. I was just letting you go. I wanted to hear about your characters. Um well, the NPC I was running, ironically, uh, had a lot of development because he was a character in Thorns game previously for probably about 10 or 11 games before I brought him over into Storm King's Thunder as an NPC. That campaign ended. I'm like, man, I like this character. I just don't want to drop him. So there was a, as we mentioned in the previous podcast, there was a giant NPC that could be introduced. And I'm like, nah, you're sidelined, buddy. I got my own giant. <laughs> oh, crotch face i believe his name was yes that was the uh giant phonetic way of saying it and um it was interesting well, because he came in because i was about to die <laughs> well i, I mean, scratched the crystal next thing i know i'm like in shit storm of craziness so i'm really glad erasmus came into the play <laughs> this was the encounter you may have heard us talk about where the party through our own foolishness three-way split ourselves you know uh zhang and roderick wound up running into a roper i believe yep. um and, and then we wound up with uh you know wilhelmina basically touched the wrong crystal and got teleported into a like skeleton hellscape where her and she met erasmus and they had to try not to die and uh <laughs> jacob and rome were i think still in the library wondering what the hell we were all off doing i am yeah, I think we left the library to come down and get you guys. And we were just like, oh, my God, guys, you need to get up here right now. <laughs> it's really never, bad. It's really bad. panic on my never has I was like, more, oh, no. Never has a DM more effectively split the party than that particular instance. And we were all like, shit, and this is entirely our fault. <laughs> yeah. No, so, we all, it was just disengaged from combat. Dash is in action. Go, 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 go. <laughs> So obviously, so Zhang is obviously coming as the, the he's coming on, on orders of his daimyo, right? To, to make contact with these lands, you know, forge relations, maybe something like that. Obviously, the Drogals are working uh, on breaking this curse. And I had worked in where I had found my bardic powers through uh, this poem, this poem I had found in the family library of this this giant poem, and I had started to read it, and my power started to come from there. Mm. Then we have this warlock that's been repurposed to come back and, in essence, be like a scribe and envoy and just kind of see the world and, you know, help people, kind of like Kane and Kung Fu, right? 
And then you have Jacob, who is deeply embedded with uh, relations with the giants and the storm giants, I believe. So that's a, like I was saying, that's very disparate. So Tony, like, take us through, like, when you get all of these coming, like, we didn't do a session zero, like we talk about specifically, but we did one, in essence, virtually, you know, via email. You said, this is what we're running, blah, 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 here's the, here's the ground rules. And we sent you our backstories. You get these five backstories. And what's going through your mind when you when you crack open the book and you say, okay, where do I put them? What do I want to do? Like, what's what does that look like for you? It looks like me fishing around for what your long-term hooks are. Mm. As I may have said in the beginning in the previous podcast, I had concerns because the module didn't set anything up to bring you together. It threw out some preliminary hooks like, hey, you're looking for work. Hey, you want to meet the mayor. You can come to this place. There's opportunity, and that's great. But I needed to bring you all together, and as I've said before, the importance of how a team operates cannot be undersold. So I wanted you to come together and be able to gel. And I wanted your goals to kind of come together so you naturally had a reason to be there and operate together to fulfill these goals. Hmm. So how did you make that happen? Yeah. I had to provide some opportunities in the story. So some things kind of got moved around. There's some minor cosmetic changes so that Dave would find some things, for answer, for example, in the Nightstone library that would help him research well, at that stage of the story, when you reached Nightstone, you knew really nothing about where the cure could be found, but you knew something was out there and it was related to the Giants. Well, yeah. then I'm dropping the first plot hook about the Maelstrom, that perhaps if some information about this existed, it would be there, because that was literally the giant epicenter of the world. Mm. But you didn't know where the Maelstrom was. Oh, my God, and I didn't even think about it until just now. But, yeah, you would put that out like, two a session or two in and then had you already decided that that book was going to be in the library in the maelstrom at that point yes that you then teased in in uh several sessions later with your vision okay and the fantastic so part about out across the board <laughs> but the fantastic part about that is is that this whole conclusion where you found the book and bonnie channeled the raven queen and she saved your life and sacrificing hers <laughs> we never did <laughs> Well, you you told us that if we were to do it right then and there, you could do it, but you could do it later yes. with with some rolls. So we were kind of in a hurry. And also we kind of knew that if she read the book, Mina's dead and like we might have needed her in some of the <laughs> final adventure. And 100% we did. So. And 100% we did. Yes. Yes. I mean, we did take this all the way up to fighting the Kraken. Like, we took him on. And I say, had he not run away like a coward, we would have beaten him. Yes. Is that in the... Motoni, that's one thing. The Kraken. He's obviously teased as the big bad in, like, past the thing. Is he actually, like, in the mod, like, full on, like, you face him? Yes. Or her? So, so here's what happens. This is how I made this scene different. You're on the the last ship where the Storm King is, and the Kraken finally reveals himself, and he's like, ha, you're all going to die. And the book's like, just scare them. Just scare their pants off, m make them all flee, and that's how that part of the story ends. You escape like, the Storm we have King. A matter rifle. Yeah. So I'm like, no, you know what? This is a heroic story. I have an epic villain. 
this I made the Kraken more involved in the story too than he was. He really wasn't directly effing with you like I had him doing with like ink bombs and you know mechanical krakens. There's actually a mechanical kraken. Yeah, the, the haunted bar did lead us to a catacombs where we fought a clockwork kraken. Yeah. Our first big awesome. scary encounter. It was. <laughs> Yeah, it's the way and Tony tried to scare the shit out of us early on. I did not have an opportunity to do my Christmas game because the title of that was The Kraken That Stole Christmas, and I was going to tie some things up. We got to come back to that this Christmas. I mean, The Kraken That Stole Christmas. We're not doing Christmas. Christmas in July because it's over. Mm. It's not over. We can come back and play it as level, like, what, are we 12, level 12 characters now? Level 12. Yeah, I mean, in December. You know. Roderick is currently wearing uh, the one ring to rule them all, or whatever the hell that thing is, right? He's just standing there, and his ring wraiths are the, hanging the out. The Ring of Winters, them. I believe, yeah. It, it was called the Ring of Winters, right? Yes. Ring of Eternal Winter, yeah. Oof. Yeah, so instead of instead of killing Mina to save him, he he, he puts on the Ring of Eternal Winters and is just, uh, what, undead or something, effectively, at this point? Like, frozen. So, I keep waiting to come back as a ghost. I know somebody's going to let me be a ghost. I'm just saying. Any DMs out there, I'm ready. I mean, to if he dies, like, physically, and you come back as a ghost, you can just possess his body and puppet him around. That's true. <laughs> oh, the possibilities are endless. So, Tone... That would so be I'm an excellent heel turn. Out the dramas, yeah. right? mm-hmm. Now, in terms of, like, Jacob, Rome, uh, and Zhang, how... F- did you already have all of this stuff, in essence, like, the, the columns placed out through, through the chapters where you were going to drop certain things for them or depending on what was going to happen to, to kind of hook us in? Not specifically. I had further ideas for your plot hooks available, but when you were looking for those moments, so you, we, I kept them defensively. So when you're like, hey, I'm looking for information about uh, Drogel Manor or um, the Raven Queen or the Curse, for example – then I'm like, well, and then I just refer back to my, basically my pool of information surrounding this. And I would give you one of the, the clues that I wanted to release in order. That's all I had. I had them in order, so I didn't botch anything, but no specific place. That's important though. Let's talk about that because when we talk about kind of DM takeaways, what can people yeah. learn from this? So you took these backstories and you generated, you had a list of notes that you wanted to use as clues throughout the game. Is that is that how you did this? That's exactly right. So for like Jacob, the thing was, that he lost his memory. Now, that's not what I want to do with Jacob at all. I had this great idea for Jacob, and, and Amber's like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm like, <laughs> but it turned out great. Anyway. Um, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Mm. You've dealt with me for how many years of my life? You have to expect the zag, man. Oh, well, what, what, what was it? What uh, was the plan? Yeah, what was the original plan? Uh, all right. May I? Go ahead. What, what? Okay, so he spoiled it for me. Uh, I, I, I don't remember if it was after the game ended or, for, or if it was just before, but the original plot was for me to play the transformed lost princess, which would be, you know... Sarissa. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so Tony's pulled this stunt before where I was the lovable scamp to his gruff guardian uh, DMPC, and I am so sorry that I didn't let you get a twofer, buddy, but I wanted to play a sad old detective. Well, that is, that's also, that's quite the swerve on a character's backstory, okay? You, Mr. Middle-Aged Cop Man, no, you're actually the giant princess. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one to, to dump on your uh, player's head, I think. Well, I was inspired by, dare I say, 4-1. 
So there was this whole situation where her sister, instead of Odin, took stripped of her powers and threw her into the mortal world, and she had to regain that. And that's what I was going uh, with. All right, all right. I gotta tell you, you're telling Zhang that he's actually a pretty, pretty princess probably would not have gone over well. Maybe not. <laughs> oh, I think that would have been phenomenal. Hilarious. Oh yes. <laughs> At least it would have also would have explained the reach better than just being a bug a bugbear. Glad somebody can explain that to me. I mean, you have a longer reach than a storm giant using a two-headed sword. But I digress. That's <laughs> <laughs> You digress. I maximize. <laughs> you did. That's a maximum reach. <laughs> There's a bit of that to me. I'm sorry. But no, this you know it's it's cool this way the way this all came together. At what point in the game do you feel like you really started laying these character backstory things in here, or did you were you playing with them? from the very beginning i was i had the ideas in the very beginning and i wanted them to roll out over time i wanted to add to your backstory but there was so much going on and there was points where the core plot as we've talked about in another podcast got a little lost so i'm like mm -hmm. okay so here is where here's the track we're supposed to be on here are the points surrounding the track and then it's the third circle around that is the character backstories. Like, Shang was the reincarnated spirit of an emperor. Well, that oh. would have been cool. Oh. Wow. <laughs> Who knew? I mean, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know obviously, what? obviously, I knew because my, my postscript for him is that he claimed an island and is becoming, it has renamed himself Shogun Zhang and is starting to take over part of the world. So, <laughs> uh, I, I, so this really was never really explored in the game, so I'll say this now. The, your red dragon katana is the spirit of a dragon who the emperor befriended in life. So okay. Elios, after his death, after the, the, after the dragon mourned your death and time passed, and the dragon was going to pass in two in the next life, Elios put the power of the red dragon, his soul, into your sword. That's why it has all those power powers. Okay. All right. So Elios, aside from being the awesome Sky Mall magazine that you right. get in the airplane, Great. was Elios was also obviously could could have been if we cared to talk with anybody aside from negotiating out of combats. Like um, he would have been a fount of possible information, backstory, plot hooks, things of that nature? Was he a, like, a pressure valve for you, like, if you needed to? So I will say, from the player point of view, it felt like Elios wasn't really looking to talk. Right. I was going to throw that out there. So you tell me, am I reading that right? Or, like, is, like, what is well, the... See, I created three. So Zephyros, who was a real Storm King's Thunder NPC, who I immediately latched onto. I like this guy. You have this. He was a cloud giant wizard, high magic. He obviously knew what was going on. And I decided to make him one of three guardians that protected the world, that had a deeper understanding of things and involvement and greater beyond powers than he should, which explain where he got a flying wizard hatted tower. That's in the book. I didn't make that up, folks. That could um, use some explanation. It comes a little bit out of nowhere. Yeah. Literally. Especially I, I don't, when I, you hear a, a flying tower just attacked this town. Oh, but it's not this flying tower. This is a totally different flying tower well, that's, that's just a wizard at. Hey, level two adventurers. There is a nine frost giants and a flying cloud city coming at you. Wait, what? <laughs> We're just fighting the goblins. But oh, him... King Traxton, the troll king, uh, who was the prophet. Um, Zephyros was more of the diplomat, and Elias was the builder, who was Hold basically on. my version of Merlin in this world. King Tractus? King, king Traxton. Traxton. 
King Traction. Now, King Traxton, the uh, the, the, the oh. Troll King, who yes. we walked past because we felt like this dude is just like Mr. Monster Boss who's going to kill us, was actually mm-hmm. one of the three Guardians of the World. Yes. Yeah, I just well, want to very authentically. Yeah. that he looked like King Laufey from <laughs> Thor 1. That's all I'm going to say. I just want to keep bringing that back to people. That's who we rolled up on. He was supposed to look scary. He was terrifying. He but, was a juiced troll king from the Feywild. I gotta say, this is a very this this is a very uh, journey to the west kind of moment, though. Like a classic, like kind of one of those stories where it's like, no, 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 the heroes didn't respect the king they ran into because of what they what he looked like. Like this is a perfect teachable moment. We walked right into what one of these classic stories would have done. So, go ahead, Scott. Actually, uh, you were involved in that that scene. Yeah. Um. The the troll king to to me and to Rome uh was one of one of the higher points in Rome's career because he's like whoa I mean up until then uh we've had mixed success very mixed success with negotiations with the giants mm. and the ice troll king was like all right here you go here's the stuff to help you. You go do that. Leave me be. And that was for Ro- looking back on it. Rome was like, "Whoa, there are decent, good, powerful people in this world. This is awesome." I'm just not allied with any of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, may not may not be allied with, but Rod certainly talked a fair few into allies after a while. So I yeah. think. <laughs> Or we have a lot of diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> Straight out of my ass. <laughs> In the early game, and what kind of led up, what I loved that this ended up here, Roderick found himself talking to, I did two separate troll encounters where you wind up talking to trolls completely unrelated to this. So by the time you met King Traxton, I'm like, boom, this is going to come together. And they're like, He's like, so what are you up to? And you're like, sightseeing. <laughs> Not telling you. That's what we're up to. Yeah, Not telling you what we're up to. Tell your plans to everyone. <laughs> on this topic, if I may pose a question, Tony, what's your opinion on all of us consistently going no to combat and just talking our way through it? How much of that did you expect and how much of that was really, uh, oh, they, wow, they really pulled that one off. Well, it's a double-edged sword because I have to tell you from one standpoint, uh, I feel like it – because, you know, I love to get things done in the games, and you really move the football, and I keep saying that. But you were accomplishing stuff like, okay, there's this massive combat, and you stop, and you talk to the captain, and you talk to the captain, and he's like, yeah, you know what? Our goals are in some way aligned, or maybe it's not worth us having this battle, and they go your separate ways, and you go on, and maybe you'd learn something. And that's great. You have a role-play moment. Characters have their cool moments. The plot's furthered. And I'm like, this is devouring the clock. We just talked for 10 minutes. That was going to be a 55-minute battle. <laughs> Beep! Like, you know, like... That's why you had to make, like, eight encounters every session, just in case, because we were going to burn, like, five of them. And we were like then, Chip Kelly's offense. We weren't we weren't holding the ball very long. You know, we were looking to score and get out of there. <laughs> three and out and we're done. And then I found myself in, on the flip side of that. Like if I put up nine encounters for the game, I'm like, guess what? Number eight, psh, we're just wipe to the left. It's gone. We're not even doing that. There's no time. I gotta get you right to this boss fight if we're cutting. So this to me was one of the more interesting things about the way you approached Yemming, which is that you basically would prep for like what, like like 
like eight or nine encounters for a session. And then you would make sure we hit your beginning and your end. And what was in between was kind of like, you just added, you just pulled stuff as we ran out of time. I knew which ones were the most important. So if you're in a situation where we have a hard stop at say, I don't know, seven or eight, mm. and you know, you don't want to rush the bat, the boss fight. And God forbid, you don't want to cut the boss fight in the middle. And be like, all right, tune in next week. It's Amber's initiative. You know, um, <laughs> You look at it and go, okay, if I got to cut a scene, guess what? There's no plot point that's really being dropped. You're not finding out really important item. Okay, you were. Guess what? It's now in scene seven. That's something I think a lot of DMs can uh, can use in your own games. Just uh, keeping that, that eye on the when do we have to stop and making sure you get your all your important stuff in before you do. Modularity, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Not, every, not uh, every encounter has to happen. <laughs> you, can, you can speed it along to get them where you want them to go. As we've been talking over the past year now um i uh i've actually started to kind of try to play with that more in my own games in seeing how tony was so uh efficient with boom 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 it's not exactly how i would utilize it but there's a lot to be gained from that knowing the the points you want to hit and when you want to hit them i will make a reference here as i sometimes do i think in some ways it's very similar to someone like matt mercer from critical role because he's on a he's on a time clock no i'm what i mean is he's on a time clock and halfway through they take a break and just coincidentally right at the break time he hits the cliffhanger he wants to hit right at the end he hits the cliffhanger he wants to hit because he knows how much time he can start to allow Okay, they're going to role play. I can let them burn for 15, 20 minutes. Okay, we're hitting a combat. I'm going to eat up an hour and a half. And in some ways, I think Tony is doing something similar because he's able to to insert and pull out as needed to either fill or shorten the time. So Now, I have a question. Would that have made a difference if we had shared our backstories to each other? Well, that's a really interesting point because – you have your mysterious backstory is like a kind of like a hostage situation. All right, you've got a real advantage, something you've got something going on here, but once you use it, like it's on the table, and then there's the fear you don't have it anymore. So there's that mystique that you have, and now you revealed it, but then everybody else could have been kind of more involved and been like, hey, Jacob, like let's let's discover your past instead of randomly unlocking it with a limited wish spell, like Roderick <laughs> did. Instead of, instead of trying to cure mummy rot and all of a sudden it unlocks plot, you're like, well, oh my God, what happened? So, uh, yeah, to, to clarify that for our listeners, what happened here was Jacob's lost memories came back because Jacob had something. I don't, I don't remember what the illness – was it mummy rot? Was that the illness? Yeah. There was, yeah. Because we and, were in the catacombs with, I'm going to guess, the, the mummy that's put in the module. I'm sure that's there with a, with a genie and a lamp. I'm sure oh, yeah. <laughs> right that's that's part that's the part that you kept from chris perkins i think right i feel like i'm doing the percentages on how much i kept like frieza said when namica was gonna explode in five minutes <laughs> this is it's like when you have you know there's the uh, when they have like the rebuilds of things like the dodge vipers like there's the dodge viper then there's the henny version of the viper you know then, then there's the rebuilt one they rename a cobra this particular scene though was so we ran into jacob sick we run into a genie who's willing to sell us stuff. 
the genie is, is in a pool, like he's coming out of a pool of water and his lamp is in the pool. And, you know, we talk about the long reach. Zhang just starts trying to grab his lamp. And okay, Zhang doesn't succeed in grabbing his lamp, but I believe Roderick does. <laughs> like, we Yeah, just... I mage-handed it over while you were like distracting <laughs> him or something. Like, it didn't, did you mean for us to get the wish there to cure Jacob? Nope. No, we, no just, that, we just would not leave it alone. Huge curveball for me because the secrets of Jacob's backstory weren't supposed to come out at that point for literally six levels. Because we had, because we had wished, I don't remember the wording of the wish specifically. I believe I'm pretty sure that Roderick worded this, but basically wished for him to be cured of all his, all that afflicted him, or something like that. Yeah, all curses on the party, I believe it was, or something Remove like that. Remove all of his curses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and that was. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Who knew? It was just such a hilarious scene. So we're like, okay, the, the DMs are to do something, someone to do something nice for us. There's some, some neat magic items or something. And no, we refused to stop poking the bear until we broke the plot. And I feel like that kind of gave us this, uh, I feel like that kind of gave us, and not I don't want to say an advantage, but definitely a different angle when we approached a lot of our giant communications because I had the inside scoop, so to say. I had the... <laughs> Like, I literally, my character literally had, here's what happened. Here's how, you know, the ruler, the the queen died and how it destabilized the whole ordning. Like, this is what happened. This is who did it. Come help us kill them. Now, right. as a as an addendum to that, and Thorne, I think you kind of said this in a previous episode, is so we unlock, you know, this, this limited wish spell removes all the afflictions. So DM says... Okay, well, it removes the memory block, too. And you get this, which was explained, we're all at the, ta quote, table, right? So we're all hearing Tony explain this to Amber, but as Thorin, you pointed out, that's coming to the character. So you're kind of like, okay, I'm hearing it as Thorin, but as Zhang, I don't know what the hell's happened. I just see this, yeah. these eyes go wide. And you're and trying then, not to remember it. Right. and Because it's all in his head. I don't know if Jacob actually, like, we, again... Because we didn't really sit down and like role play out a lot of times our stuff, and whether or not that was actually communicated, then started to create some of these like, wait, what's happening? Wait, who are you? Wait, what, what are we doing? I think Wish the main issue was that uh, I could I failed I believe three wisdom saves in a row and fell into a slight coma, uh, so it was kind of a kind of a wash on trying to explain what happened there. And then we were off to the next part of the Avenger. So. Exactly. So, exactly. Before we zip through this, let's hit the Tony. So what, because this is this is revealing the backstory of Tony's version of Storm King's Thunder. So Tony, what was that backstory that got revealed when this limited wish came off at, like, I want to say like level five? No, it was, it was earlier than that. And Jacob. Five's pretty early. I mean, we ended at 11. So I, four, I, don't, I don't think it was, it, I think it was sooner. May, may have been, I mean, I don't think Erasmus is with you, and he came in when you were level four slash five. Um, I was going to say three or four, yeah. It sounds, yeah. sounds right. So, so all yeah, of so a sudden, Jacob is hit with this flood of memories, and I put in there that there was, this, there was basically a gap in his time frame where he had met the queen of the Storm Giants and knew about her death and explained how the Storm King didn't want him involved any further and said, you know what? Go live your life. This is not your problem. This is our problem. He used the power of the Worm Skull Throne to wipe his memory. Now, also, 
he had, Jacob had been traveling with the queen when she came into the mortal realm, which was part of my story where she was, she actually had been very kind of hands-on the way they described her was she was, um, not a, I'm sitting on a throne kind of noble, but she was really involved in what was happening in the world. And in during her travels, she had met Jacob during uh, his grieving period of his wife. And then, uh, so like, what he was, was he with her when she died? Or basically he- Came across her dead body. And he investigated. So Jacob had literally worked on the case of the death of the Storm King's wife, cracked it. And then the Storm King's like, okay, forget that and go live your life. No, he had been, this is somewhere where he was going to beat her by the trackless sea and came upon his friend and she was dead. And the other Storm Giants were there and they're like, you know what? This is not your business. And okay. he is, this, this Storm King was a, is a merciful, good character. But, you know, he's also, uh, he's certainly like, hey, I'm going to tap this level one barbarian. All right, you're on the case. Who killed me? He's like, I have my greatest warriors. The, we will handle this. I will get to the bottom of this. I will get revenge, which actually ended poorly. All of his greatest warriors went out, couldn't find him. The character who would later be linked to Erasmus died in that process. Um, and then he Listen himself. Yes, uh, he got, because that's, I linked that to Erasmus becoming a storm giant. I said, when I right. wished to become a storm giant, he was infused by the power of this other character, Oceanus's soul. And that's why he became a storm giant that just didn't come out of nowhere. His, his soul was trapped, was basically floating around in the mortal realm, n- not willing to move on. He had died unjustly. His, the, his sister was dead. The, the ordning was shattered. The whole world was in disarray because all the giants were just running amok, destroying everything and taking over everything. And when the wish was cast, he had an opportunity to bind himself to the wizard and set things right. And that wish, and as we've discussed, that was when Erasmus in my campaign wished to become part Storm Giant, I had approached it as, okay, he's infused with Storm Giant, and Tony took that when he brought him into his campaign as, okay, that infusion was the soul of this lost Storm Giant. Uh, yes. So it worked together really well, actually. I think, you know, it's it's smooth. Like, I mean, it's a little a little post-facto, but it's, I feel like that works, you know? It feels like it was good stuff. I am curious, how much of us players knew anything about any of that expansive headcanon Tony just uh, unrolled? Exactly. That was going to be my point is... There's what I'm noticing with Tony as we're discussing this, he has so much of this world built out, which is phenomenal. I mean, and we know his love of Professor Tolkien, but um, including like the story behind uh, the children of Corellin and Lathander, some of the books that Mina and I had found that were kind of explaining the backstory. And it was it was like deep, deep, deep stuff. But again, we were going so quickly through, again, we get 16 sessions that a lot of this stuff was just sometimes these big, massive info dumps and you go, okay, where are we going next? So I think it, I would have loved to see how, if we were able to play more frequently or something like that, how could that have maybe um, been expounded upon, you know, so that we all kind of knew these things or were discovering them as we went along. Although, to be fair, like the Woodstock Wanderers has some aspects like that. It has some some backstory elements. And I'm finding even when I really make sure the players hear it, when I make sure I repeat it over a couple sessions, the players still don't necessarily pick up on it. So I don't know. Is this something that's just like, is that just like a lost cause trying to get players to understand this kind of like your own headcanon about the world? Deep third age stuff. 
What are you guys what as the, as the other players in the group? What are your guys' thoughts and, on? And that? Bonnie's actually in Woodstock Wanderers, so she's she's she has seen she has that perspective too. To be fair, when Tony DMs, there's always it's an iceberg. It really is an iceberg. He's mm. got so much stuff loaded and ready to go. It's very hard to throw him a curveball. Um, <laughs> you say that <laughs> we did it, but, but but it is hard. But I know when when I DM and you have important plot info you want to get out, it's very hard sometimes to not just put them on a railroad and send them down the line. I think I would rather like have the deep info there and not have it than be force fed it. So, I mean, that's also, I mean, between players and DM, it's, it's, it's a collaboration. The players have to want to find the info as well as the DM parceling it out. So, I mean, us, again, Dave was right. I mean, we went from high point to high point to high point. There wasn't a lot of on-screen party Downtown. interaction, right, where we could say, hey, Jacob, so what was your wife's favorite forging tool? <laughs> or, you know, Rod, did you find anything, you know, really gothic horror when you started your, your bardic profession? I mean, did you want to do, like, storytelling, or did you... Right. Or or you know, Zhang, what world or what realms have you seen under the under your diamo? You know? I mean, all that kind of stuff is fantastic to role play and play with, but it's not always so necessary. Yeah. But well, I agree I, with all that. But then I also think it comes down to your players too. You know, are they in the size? Um with Woodstock Wanderers sometimes I feel like it's too many players. So then people mm. get distracted very easily mm. by the time like the information is being said, whether, you know, it's roll 20 or in person kind of thing. But I think too, like, so I get to see different styles with playing with all you guys, you know, um, and even then how I would play. Cause I, I feel like I'm in the, as a DM, I'm in the middle of all you guys, but with Woodstock in the beginning, Thorne, you didn't really want backstories. So when they get put into the game, it kind of throws me off a little bit because then I'm thinking, shit, I wasn't paying attention to something. Where did this come from? So I think it's finding that like right balance between the DM and the player as to who wants it. Do they want it in the beginning? Because I know some people like Dave, Dave's brother, Chris, um, even Scott, I would say, would love to have backstories in the beginning so that they have it in their mind as to what to look for, how to do this, how to engage with certain players. Um, so I think it's just part of what you guys keep talking about on all your podcasts is finding the right balance. Well said. I think one of the takeaways from this also as a DM, things that I've, uh, I've learned in this experience is that I, even if I have something I want to do, I never force the scene because like there's things like I wanted to like for Traxton, I want to do a point reveal. And with, um, the Droggles, there was that whole, I wrote out this in-depth scene where, where Roderick was reading from the book and Bonnie had to try and the trident was tied into that. And then the, she was a channel, the power of the Raven queen and summon the goddess of death and fate and winter. And you were to break the curse and everything that was going to go with it. I had planned that out for like literally 11 games in advance and we never used it. You found a different way and that's fine. Oh, I'm so sad. Uh, By the way, I love my trident. Love, 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 love. <laughs> and for all you listeners out there, I actually bought a small costume trident that I would put nice. on screen from time to time. 
<laughs> it would have played better at a, at a live table, definitely. <laughs> yes. I, I have a, a, a question. When the Frost Giants came to assault the town, was it supposed to be a combat or was diplomacy more the uh, module way of doing things? Mm. I looked at that. That is actually a book encounter. And I looked at that and said, ah, 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 now, ah, real ah. quick for context, this is when we are about level three and we're outside the walls of Bryn Shandar, correct? And we have yes. about, what do we have? Like five frost giants? Seven, wolf, Seven. winter wolves. And yeah, like it was, it was death. And, no, what does happen there if we don't talk? Because basically we wound up bluffing. We wound up saying, we'll give you the ring if you go away. Yeah, we'll go get the ring for you and give you the ring by whatever date you want just to get you out of here is what we wound up doing there. What happens if we don't do that? So there's supposed yeah, to be this long, involved attack on the city. Uh, and as I said to you, there's a very strange point where I was supposed to assign you NPCs. Be like, hey, Amber, here's your buddy. Meet Dave. It's like, hello, and Rome, <laughs> meet your meet your, your assigned NPC. That's Nick. Hey, man, what's up? <laughs> like, you know, and it was completely at random. You got these NPCs, and you're supposed to keep them alive. So if they survived this nightmare, and that's what it was going to be. Like, the walls were very thick, but you had literally 10 frost giants outside, which each are, what, a CR9? So you guys are off level 5 party. You can't deal with one. You can't deal with one. Now, the place was defended, but it was supposed to be a very scary scene. And it was very involved, and it involves you running around the city, rocks are coming down, and Roderick's like, hey, let's talk. And he rolled. Roderick pulled some rolls out of his ass during this game. <laughs> like, I, I, I wish I had recorded them. I'm like, dude, All this I'm is a hard roll. Thank God I did not have Tasha's Cauldron when we wrote these, when we rolled these characters out, because I would have been the College of Eloquence, and then Fuck all persuasion checks, man. They would all just be twenties, <laughs> I think, just immediately with the way the bard goes. It's ridiculous. That's, yeah. That's disgusting, and I need to hear about it immediately. It's it's <laughs> kind of when I'm reading, so I get my copy of Taj's and I'm looking through the college, you know, the different, you know, subclass they got, and the bard has College of Eloquence. I'm reading, I'm like, this is Roderick, dude. This is all. I mean, I was a lore bard, and it worked. But like this one, forget about it. Yeah, my persuasion <laughs> checks were, were pretty heavy. There was also a scene, one of my favorite roleplay scenes, ironically, was towards the end when you were all in the Storm King's court. And I, I, I restructured the encounter because Princess Sarissa was essentially imprisoned and her two older sisters had taken over. And what I did was I kind of had a Dragon Age scene here where in Dragon Age, you burst into the court and all the people, like there's people in there who you had helped and people he would turn against. And it was this whole scene where this all mattered. And I wanted to recreate that in terms of Storm King's Thunder. So my players did a minimum kill ratio with the giant leaders. Unless, they, unless they're really going to play the hard line and be like, I want to eat your skull. They renegotiated with them, got them to turn away from their path. If they killed one of the leaders, they replaced it with a more suitable leader. And in this situation, a lot of those giant nobles were in the Storm King's court where the new Storm Queen, air quotes, was presiding. And Roderick had this moment where he convinced them, wanted to convince them of the Kraken's involvement in all of this. And 
the the evil storm giant queen I like I rolled like a 15 on my persuade like on the dice and he's like 18 and it was like this courtroom drama moment where we gasped <laughs> and like no with that said that is actually true I think we only killed the I think it was just the chief god the the hill giant chief I think it was the only uh, cross giant, giant. Uh, and well, cross giant but we did we, yeah we, we, we replaced the frost giant, frost giant yeah I mean uh, we, we let a bloody coup in the frost giant settlements for bloody coup bloody coup as uh, <laughs> as Tony just said one of his high points for me if we're let's let's just throw out a couple of high points for me one of literally the best and most memorable sessions was the setting of the hill giant chief that mm. combat and infiltration of the setting was amazing literally the entire session i was on the edge of my seat and i still think about it, I'm like that was such a like just the way we were all working together and 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 all of it it was just it's well, very memorable that that scene so that was the one just uh, to set some scene for our, for our listeners here. So we come into the storm giant lair. You have the option to take the underground entrance and we'd actually exactly. parked the airship outside. And by the way, we had the airship at this point. Uh, we parked the airship outside. We talked to a wailing storm giant, uh, maybe not a Hill, widow, but Hill someone giant. doesn't like, huh? Hill giant. Hill giant. Hill giant. Yeah. Sorry. We, we, but we talked to a, a hill giant outside who tells us to take, you basically go in through the bottom. We sneak in, we sneak through the bottom. We wind up, Okay, eventually, we get, like, halfway there before we wind up in a fight. We use, uh, we put up walls to protect ourselves. We get up into the next level of the Hell Giants, into, like, the throne room area, but we come in the back, like, we sneak in, and then we, uh, had one of the biggest fights of our careers, I think. That that still might fun. be the biggest, longest fight we ever had. The the Widow, we also, she also, uh, basically, char didn't she charge us with, like, uh, killing the person who killed her husband? Wasn't that, I yeah. think that was part of the... Yeah, we, we had to uh, say, actually, I, I said it. She wasn't a widow, but her husband was like she had been locked up or something, and her husband was um in the in the court, and we actually told had to tell him to go back to her. That was right, the deal. Right, right, right. Yeah, and he, we managed to not kill him. The, uh, the yeah, we gave him the there. ring to show or whatever the, yeah. the trinket was to show that we weren't actually lying. Friendship. We uh, ended up being the OG, like our best friend, all the way Friendship. to the end. Yeah. <laughs> and she showed up in court on our side. Bonnie, how about you? What high point of the of the eleven levels? Well, outside of what I've already said, um, I the one that kind of like kind of get me like grasping like for air a little bit was when we did the race and we had to stay uh, ahead of uh, the, the pod race. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. very much that was that was going to be mine as well. Oh, that's the edge of my seat stuff. Yeah. What? That was intense, especially with the number of rolls. And then next thing you know, I felt like we were going to be under the ocean at one point, And we were. And I'm like, oh, shit. Now we're not going to be able to breathe. <laughs> like, it was, I was like, we're losing. This I'm going to agree with that. That is, anytime a DM, here's another takeaway. Anytime as the DM, you can set it up. And Tony has written about this in some of the articles as well. Where you can set it up where the dice literally will and not single point fail, nothing like that, but where the dice are truly the things that are running it. Because we were doing all of these skill checks and skill challenges during that entire race. And that means every role mattered, every single one, you know? Uh, I, I know I used multiple, uh, if not all three of my luckies on, on that race. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
And it's weird because with the warlock, some of the skill checks that he had to do weren't his specialty. I mean, there's not very many ship steering charisma checks, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, Tony Tony buffed us up a bit with his, his training manual, but it was still, it was not just like, yawn, oh, I rolled a two, 36. Uh, <laughs> I pass. I mean, it, it was, it was fun. And it was not... I mean, yes, it was life or death for Rome because he was the bet. Yeah. But <laughs> that's an was... important part of this story. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I forgot we did make him. We did, yeah, no. Thargrim wanted his own transformer, and you guys put him up as collateral. <laughs> I, to be fair, I volunteered to put myself up as collateral. Yeah. Yeah, no. But the friendliness, barring the bet, the friendliness of the competition, the fact that he was actually just wanting to race he was a speed junkie he didn't want to cheat he wanted to be the best he wanted to beat the best that is a very good plot beat for me i mean i very much enjoyed that i would i would literally go back in my ship and ask for a rematch just for fun <laughs> i mean rome, I, rome will be going back to uh to him at some point in in the future and this is, you know, so so setting the scene, we had, we talked about finding the airship. We got the airship early. It's actually a spell jammer airship. And one of the things we were able to do is through Elios's, we were able to upgrade the airship several times. Uh, and we had in looking for the Ring of Winters, which we had promised to give to the to the Frost Giants who left Bryn Shandar intact, in we came across the Storm Giant demigod. What was his name? Thargrim. He was a Frost Giant. He was the yep, yep. oldest. Uh, son of uh the actual deity oh. and he's there in a long ship being drawn by like six white dragons or four white dragons spell jammer ship it's a real tsr product yes and we basically so we're like hey can we hear you have the ring can you uh give us the ring and he's like i'll race you for it you know we're not racing for pinks i'll race you yeah and rome, rome volunteered. <laughs> I'll take your friend if I win. You can have my ring if, if if you win. At which point we decided we weren't quite upgraded enough. So we had to go back and adventure and build up our, uh, what we kind of called the gummy ship at that point. Because it really was kind of like a gummy ship. It was like adding parts on the gummy ship from Kingdom Hearts uh, in order to, to, to upgrade it and go have this race where we, by the skin of our teeth, saved our friend, saved both of our friends. Actually, yeah, because had we not gotten that, that would have been Rome and Roderick uh, potentially dying, right? Or or Mina when she took the hit for, for Rod. Yeah. yeah, definitely a two, for, or maybe a three for the pending. <laughs> it was very creative, though. That was, that was my in jail for, like, I, uh, I was sitting at my desk. When it wasn't my turn to go, I was just sitting there rolling my D20s, like, all right, which one of you is going to stay? I put so many, like, off to the side. It was ridiculous. I was, like, sweating. It was awful. All right, Amber, how about you? High point of this, of the 11 levels we traversed. Oh, I did, I did call myself up to the stand, didn't I? I have never finished a campaign before, not, like, not in 5th edition, anyway, with a character that I was so attached to as Jacob. So I very much enjoyed the race, obviously. I think that was... That was just so much fun. Like, there were obviously such high stakes, but we were all just pouring everything we had into it. And I think getting to the end and discovering more about his involvement, like, just developing that character backstory, which sounds, like, selfish, but it is. 
and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I've had the the privilege of being DM'd by Tony for a very long time. You getting, can't see me blushing. <laughs> <laughs> getting to give one of my characters that I've had for ages over to him and then getting such a good story in return was just mwah, beautiful. And the rest of y'all were good, too, I guess. <laughs> Jacob did have more of a centerpiece to the core story, as we talked about a little bit. That He, he, had, the, he had the memory reveal. He had the connection to the Storm Giants. He was plugged yeah. in. Yeah, and the hammer. Oh, At the end, he you had know the what? hammer. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, that's my selfish favorite moment. When yeah. I got to have my uh, immigrant song moment. <laughs> I did. I... I spoke the command word, it shot out of the nightstone, and then I decapitated a giant in one blow. It was, I've never felt that power high. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a custom hammer of thunderbolts in the nightstone in the book. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, we discussed a lot in the last episode of these uh, artifacts that were. Uh, well, I think uh, if we don't have an article up on these on the site, we will soon. But essentially, uh, Jacob had his hammer. Rome had an orb, right? Dragon claw. Dragon, Dragon claw. claw orb, basically. Yeah, holding an orb, yeah. Yeah, or the autobot leadership of Matrix, as Tony likes to call it. As I affectionately <laughs> like to think of it, yes. Jang got his red dragon katana, also got a, a set of samurai armor later that allowed him to access the benefits of being a samurai while being a battle master. So I got to kind of taste both sides of the fighter equation I had thought oh, about really? making, which was... Yeah, that was actually really neat. Back on third level, I agonized between do I want to go samurai like I had planned or battle master. And the way the character developed, I kind of felt like he felt more like a battle master. And you know, we had we had Jacob for the for the tank. So uh, any kind of like uh, 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 <laughs> he liked Shang oh. like pushing people around, basically. So I could see um, where that flavor would be. You're not yeah. Wrong. Well, I mean, from from the point of view of the character, it was he could either follow kind of the uh, Book of Five Rings or Sun Tzu's Art of War. He could he could either take the tactical side or he could take the uh, from his point of view the tactical side of the fight or, or kind of the really master the sword or master the battlefield. And we, we already had someone who was mastering, you know, kind of the, you know, the point person. So he decided to take the more, the more strategic route and the more refined route from a certain point of view. That was how oh, I thought okay. about it in character. Uh, being a boy, yeah, certainly. It's powerful, man. What you could accomplish with those superiority dice was instrumental in pretty much every battle. And in, in the... the and by the end, like I said, so when Tony paid off, won this sword, making the sword a uh, effectively a polearm. You know, the, the Red Dragon Katana he gave me, which also did a whole, like, based on the staff of power, right, Tony? All of your core items, except for Jacob's, were, well, and Erasmus's, were based off of a staff of power. I gave them all charges, and I made them all comparably powerful, and they were all effectively implements. Your Katana, not as much, but then I gave you Flame Realm powers. Yeah, so it could do wall of fire, it could do fireball, it could summon a fire elemental. It was really, you know, really cool. And then the armor let me also delve into that samurai stuff, so I did get to kind of taste both sides of it. I could use the superiority ability from the from the samurai to make it to to, to make the attack stick, which is a vicious combination, especially when you add wall of fire to it. So yeah, Zhang by the end was awesome. He was an awesome character, could control the battlefield. He had everything you could ask for 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 a, for a polearm battle master. So I want to ask my yeah. I want to ask my party, actually. That's I have all you here. And I'm putting this article together about some of the magical items I used. Did I at any point oversaturate? Yes, the whole time. 
<laughs> yes, that's no, perfect. Not, not at all. No, not if at all. anything, it gave me the confidence because having you give us such powerful things and allowing us to get powerful things, even from like almost the beginning, it kind of made me feel like when I am DM DMing with the kids at the group home and they want these powerful items that I give them and then have to figure it out, you know, later on, it kind of made me feel like everything can be done. Yeah. You just need a way to put it in. And you picking these items specifically, not only for our backstories, but I think our personalities too in real life. Because for you to give me the <laughs> tsunami, uh, the tsunami of fate trident, you know a lot about me. I love whales, I love the ocean. Like, so, you know, you incorporating just my own personal life brought all that excitement in. Just like when Thorne, you put spiders into the thing. It's, uh, it worked in the other direction because that tapped into your uh, fear. Yeah. That's, that's well said, though, because Tony, yes, absolutely. I was just kidding with that because initially, and we've actually talked about this in other episodes, uh, it absolutely felt like. Oh my God, like we're way too powerful now. Like we're just, we're grinding through some of these encounters until we're not. And then like Thorne, you said it last episode, it didn't make us unhittable, you know? Uh, in the same way, like in the Strahd campaign, it actually made me go, all right, maybe I can open the valve a little bit and kind of go off book with some of the magic and kind of throw it around to the party because you have a little more control over it, seeing it from the other side, you know, seeing it from the other side as a player. Yeah, and it was fun to have all that, too. The, the trade-off is, and I think what we've kind of, you know, and Tony's been doing this for a long time, so Tony knows how to manage this, but you wind up skipping tears is what you have to be careful with. And Tony really yeah. set us up with extra power so he could hit us with extra powerful monsters. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's why we fought the Kraken and weren't just scared by the Kraken because he loaded in all these extra things, but then he also threw extra powerful stuff at us. And if that's what you want to do, that's like, that's, that's fine. It's going to be mindful of sometimes you can find yourself skipping your CR levels. Like if you're not ready for the fact that not your level, your, your level four characters can beat up, CR 12 monsters, be mindful of it. You just got to kind of account for it in your DMing and kind of the way you build your challenges. I think, oh, go ahead. Uh, I think in a way it really worked for the campaign we were in because mm. we are small folk in a realm of giants. We need, yeah. like we are out of our depth regardless of what we do. The fact yep. that all of the, all of these boons uh, for the people listening came in the form of well, holiday games but also, the one I remember most was the Stone Father's Blessing. He gave us either, it was either Dark Vision or Tremor Sense, and then all of these other different buffs. And it's like, this world is setting us up because we they want to help us. It felt very, they knew that we were little the, fish in a big pond. The chosen, and the chosen ones. So we needed to have comparable powers to mm. actually accomplish the All Father's Will, which is basically what we were tools of from the very beginning. Yeah, it felt, it didn't feel like you were powering us up unnaturally. It right. felt like it was, in order to get even close to this, you're going to need to be absolutely roided out, juiced up, given everything you, everything, uh, everything the world can give you, you're going to need. So here it is. Mm. And it's a really that, great point, actually. Trust I haven't really thought of it in that, in that way. That's excellent. Continue, please. I've ne uh, you talk a lot about uh, putting the fear of death into your players, and let me tell you, I there is no way that I have ever not felt that playing the upfront fighter guy. So I don't usually play the upfront fighter guy. Yeah. I'm usually standing in the back going Eldritch Blast. 
also on the on the weapons or the magic items uh, that's one of my key dislikes about fifth edition is the de-emphasis of magical items uh in as a character definer not so much the power but like take second edition um was really i guess the last edition that didn't really explode with character classes i mean three three five four you can do yeah. all kinds of wacky stuff but AD&D, first edition, second edition, are, you had a relatively weak character to start out with that you needed gear, not like WoW gear where, you know, you get incrementally stuff, but it flavored what you did. Mm. And where Choni wielded that into the fifth edition campaign didn't always give us book weapons or book mm. items, which are, sorry, TSR or uh, Hasbro. Uh, lame in, in fifth edition, but I mean, I don't know, man. It sounds like fourth edition. Fifth's a little better, at least. <laughs> yeah, but you get you get you get what I'm saying. The uh, the power there wasn't power creep, where you can run into. Well, here's Monty Hall. Here's this, that, the other thing. Now you can like smite God twice on Tuesday, no problem. But like like Amber said, it kept us able to fight toe-to-toe, -to -toe, but we're still able to, relatively, we're squishy. I mean, we had Warlock, Warlock, Bard. I mean... We're a very we're charismatic party. Yes. Very, very charismatic. For, I mean, for a not-so-much-charismatic yeah. kind of adventure. <laughs> I mean, if you want to go power gaming, min-max stuff, we should have... Well, actually, we did. We role-played the snot out of things rather than just beat the hell out of them. But Bonnie was both able to go both ways easily... And once she got a little power weapon-wise or basic ability-wise, she was she was scary. I mean, I started as a Swiss Army knife uh, on the cantrip side and stuff, and God, well, Bard, you know. But, I mean, that just enhanced my toolkit for the entire game. I love playing the frontline fighter. I mean, it is my favoritest thing in the world to be a martial class, which is kind of why I chose... Not to be a martial class this time, <laughs> but it really, Warlock has, it, I mean, and, and with the weapons getting back to the magic items that Tony gave us, really enhanced a good, solid support role where I'm not having to sit in the back and just go, heal, Eldritch Blast. I had all kinds of stuff that I could do and did do to make the battles better. And the, the final one with my uh, pact with the Arcane Gate, we were able to get over to the ship. Uh, that was awesome. Yeah. Without sacrificing our frontline fighter. Yeah. So yes, your weapons, your items, they were phenomenal. We needed the high magic in this campaign to even have a shot. And just to just to add a little context to that, you know, we've talked about the weapons a lot, and we've talked about about all those. But in addition, here's some stuff from my character sheet that I don't think you're going to find in any of the uh, of the of the books. Um, <laughs> Memnar's Guile. Once prolonged rest, you can take the form of an of in my case an Oriental dark-haired, big Asian human. Uh, because instead of giving us those NPCs and Bryn Shandar, instead, Tony said, okay, you're going to get a power to transform into these people who you can use as disguises to hide from the powers that are trying to track you. Which we um, probably forgot about doing. And... <laughs> uh, no, I think you haven't. You actively decided not to. <laughs> Thorin. Jang Thorin, Jang. reporting at you, Jang. Yes, yes, yes. I will say that one, that one, Thorin, I'm right there with you because it's cool, but I was confused by it when it was first dropped. So I was like, you know, okay. I mean, 
in that particular case, the reason that like Zhang broke it in, uh, was, and actually we talked about this, Zhang was, I think it was Roderick who had actually kind of drawn the attention somehow. But the problem was Zhang was built around his reach. So I didn't love not being a bugbear with reach. But to set that aside for a second, we have Memnar's Guile. We have Fist of Stone, which came from the All-Father's Blessing, which let, let us punch for 1d6 plus 1 damage. We had Giant Stride, plus 10 movement. We had uh, Tremor Sense, which also came from, I believe, the, the Stone Father's Blessing. We had the Halloween game, which gave us the Spirit of Halloween, which gave it us a permanent resistance to psychic damage, which I have a feeling we probably all forgot later, because I think we got hit by some psychic damage. Uh, fear. And advantage fear. and advantage on fear checks and plus one to one of our lower ability scores. Yes. All those things came from the Halloween game. Then we got Wait, some of us. We need to, be, before we ever end this episode, we need to talk about the Halloween game. One, so so <laughs> one second, we, we definitely should, because we also had the birthday games. Yeah, we had Dave's birthday. No, this was actually, I'm sorry. This is, I guess, probably from my birthday cake, which gave me two plus ones to any non-prime requisite ability. And it can go past, it can go past 20. I couldn't stack them together. Then we had the book Zephyros's Guide to Turning Your Party into Tactical Brilliance, which gave us like, I think there was three or four chapters of if you do this by working together in the game, you're going to get a bonus, which was proficiencies, more ability scores, bumps. I mentioned in our last episode, Zhang wound up this game with ability scores of 22, 22, 18, 12, 14, 14. So overclocked, to put it mildly. In addition to that, we have, on at least on my sheet, and I'm sure your sheets have other stuff probably that maybe your character got. I wound up with a belt of dwarven kind. I have dwarven poison resistance and another bonus to constitution, which maybe was supposed to be... I think that was supposed to be uh, Tony's first attempt to fix Roderick's squishiness <laughs> that I wound up pulling. Red Dragon Katana, we talked about that. The Red Samurai Plate Armor, plus two. I mean, and that's the one that also gives me access to the Fighting Spirit. So that yeah, entire list perfect. of things just on my character... We were dripping. We were dripping. I mean, even as a bard, I'm a skill monkey. I still somehow ended this campaign with 14 proficiencies in my skills. <laughs> Are there 14 proficiencies? Only missing four. I'm missing four proficiencies, <laughs> and they're all bullshit ones anyway. So I, I think I win because I got an airship. <laughs> I was also get an airship. <laughs> I win. I, I can merge my consciousness into the airship. I can buy an airship. <laughs> Morningstar turned into a, a a demon, so that's true. Like devil. that bone devil, like, yeah. So yeah. Morningstar, who was originally yeah. Cathazel, yeah, renamed Morningstar, bumped to a spine yeah. devil. Yep, spine devil. Spine devil. Yeah. So like a CR nine devil. No, he eventually turned into a bone devil. You kept achieving oh, getting right. upgrades for him, which is another <laughs> way I could reward Bonnie in game. I'm like, okay, so we want to give her magic helmet. No, how about a devil upgrade? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that devil is perfectly on brand for that character. Oh yeah. Wondering that it's a worry to uh um load your players up with too much stuff. Uh, just send a message to Tony. He'll let you know how to do it. And I'll say. Probably those are rookie numbers. You need to bump those numbers up. <laughs> and, and what I would say, the overall effect of this is I think we can all say, all of us at various points, it made the characters feel special. Like, yeah. you know, uh, Scott, you were just saying it. It made it feel like we were the chosen ones that powerful parties were bumping up to take on this literally giant challenge. And that was really the effect of it. And that's one of the effects you have when you do this in your game. You know, take what I said before in mind, you know, you, you're going to have the, the, the power curve is going to be different. You got to account for it. But the flip side of that is 
you can create this effect where your where your players feel like their characters are very special superheroes dragon ball z whatever your 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 you know my hero academia they get that vibe that they are these chosen ones to take on the challenge to save the world 5e is the master of illusion when it comes to the importance of ability scores and let me quantify <laughs> that so my uh, barbarian at dave's game is about to get a 22 strength probably at the end or at some point during my next game i will f- finish my uh, tome from his christmas game and i will raise my strength to 22 so i'll be just as strong as shang so you hear, you know, Zhang has a 22 strength. And it's like, you maniac! He has a 22 strength. What, what are you doing? He's as strong as a stone giant. Well, I'm a level 10 barbarian. So what does that mean? It means he has plus one to hit and plus one to damage, which is pretty marginal at the point in the game he's in. Also, because the way strength's handled, it's, yes, he has the strength of a stone giant, but he's not going to grab a pick a four pickup truck and throw it through the third story window of a building. That's Jank's not what it did, to be fair. I, I I did abuse that a little bit early, early on mostly. He lifted thousand pound rocks and made a uh, wall did the, that the I orcs did. couldn't get in. And we needed, to be fair, we needed that in that encounter. But I did that's the math. So I'm like, okay, this says with all this stuff stacked together, I'm lifting Buicks. <laughs> a little oh, yeah. bit of a little trivia though. Uh when the way I approached the the last battle with Sarkoloth, and that's not how his name's pronounced in game, it's something that I don't like Fair at all. Left, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just thumbs down. I do not like how they rolled that out. So I encased the encounter in darkness uh, so the party could not see anything. And that's how I handled his foresight spell, which I don't know if you really is the most unfair spell possibly in 5e. So this Kraken, who is already like a CR 25, 26 monster, who's already completely ridiculous and a ninth level spellcaster. For the next eight hours, would have had advantage on, and I will quote, all attack rolls, ability checks, and saving throws. And if that's not horrifying enough, any attacks creatures have against them are uh, at disadvantage. So you've been fighting him at disadvantage while he's doing everything with advantage because he's basically precogging all your moves. Numerically, I believe that works out to effectively, that's effectively the same as giving him plus five on all his rolls and giving you minus five on all your rolls against him. It's like the, the crack came out of the, the serp and screamed KO Ken times five and started attacking you. <laughs> but we drove him off. We yeah. rescued the Storm King, who is that in the book? So the way that we played this, the way, Tony, you did this was the Storm King was trapped on the vessel the Kraken was effectively guarding. Is that in the book or is that something you kind All of... Right. There is a vessel. There's monks on that vessel who don't exist in my universe because I cut them because they're stunning fists. And... Uh, he was chained down there. He was not turned to stone. So okay. I didn't feel like really, there was so much going on in that encounter. I'm like, I am not effing running his NPC too. Like I have my own NPC. Well, we, were hoping. we were hoping that we could free him and do another like frost giant uh, Valhalla ship and just like, okay, now we got Hecaton on our side. Eat it. You know, and I also kind of envisioned a point where you guys were going to fight him, save the king, escape. But you know what? It had been a long campaign. You would really power it up. I'm like, you know what? Have at it. You guys fight it. Fight him to a stalemate or fight to wherever the point where eventually he's like, you know what? I'll be back. And he walked off the field, so to speak. But you <laughs> certainly put some hits on him. Inked and ran. Inked and ran. Yeah. Inked and ran. Ran away like a little squid. Well, let's not put it too far. I think he just left. I don't think he ran. I well, think he... <laughs> next time I'm leading up with Meteor Storm. Well, the the thing of it was, I mean, the scary part 
like in <laughs> campaign wise is the fact that he wasn't lying when he said, I'll just do it again with the small folk. I can find, I found out how easily corruptible uh, the mortals yeah. are. So he is going to be a big, I mean, if we ever continue this particular universe, he is going to be a big bad for like eternity. Yeah, there's more, rest, there, the, there's the more meat on this bone. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've been going on for a little bit here. I think, uh, you know, why don't we try to wrap up with some final thoughts and let's give everyone some final thoughts on what did you think on Tony's take on Storm King's Thunder? And uh, how about we start with Amber? How about we start with you? Let's just add two to the final thoughts. You do have to say who you also became in Tony's yes. Halloween game. Character, so, so Halloween game. Halloween game. Yeah. And where'd you head? Oh, okay. So, okay. The Halloween game was, first of all, I've had a couple Halloween slash holiday games in general with Tony. I've run one for him. It is so much fun to do stuff like that where it's just, it's a filler episode. It's a beach episode. Everyone's having fun. I got to play just Thor, just straight up Thor. I got to fly around. I had a big, big hammer. I was a dwarf paladin and then I turned into Thor and it was so much fun. Oh my God. So much fun. You know, we didn't really get that deep into it. We've covered the Halloween games before a little bit. So, but having all of us turn into members of the Avengers, Yang turned into Captain America. Uh, you know, we had Scarlet Witch. Uh, that was definitely a, a masterstroke of a Halloween game. So where is your character headed? After uh, where, the where are they now section? Yeah. Okay. So my vision, if we ever continued this campaign, Jacob is not going to be there. He is just, he respectfully... He is done. I have ideas if I would like to, because I would obviously love to play in this universe you again. You think you're it. done until the hook gets you. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. I have hooks for you, sir. He goes back to Nightstone and he helps try and get some infrastructure in place. Like he goes to all the places that they kind of help to defend. And then he settles down in Nightstone and just, he opens up a sort of an orphanage, kind of just a house because he, in, innately, he is a family man. That, like, that's all he wanted was just to settle down. So he settles down in his wife's memory, sets up a place where, like, adventurers can drop off their kids when they're going to go on an adventure, or just kids who don't have a place to go, they can come and stay with Uncle Jake. And it is disgustingly sappy and sweet. That's it. And plus oh. the fact the Zentarum were appro or you're trying to sniff around Nightstone in yeah. the very beginning, so a high-level barbarian could keep the peace there as well. Yeah, I didn't That's even true. think of that, but that, yep, 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 well yep. said. So, I mean, Scott, what's, uh, so what are your final thoughts on the campaign, and what has Rome had it all for? Well, I was Iron Man, of course, for the yeah, uh, Halloween well, we, game. The Storm King's Thunder is pretty much like any other module I've had run through. The things that make it extra special is the toniness. The ability to take the bones of a module and not only make it, well, lack of better words, funner, to give everyone a personal stake in that module. Because, like, as, as you said, there's no y'all meet at the bar type moment in Storm King's Thunder. So think of that, and then think of all the things we've gone through as... Uh, you know, disparate backstories, disparate players, and come together. We worked shockingly effectively as a team. I mean, we were, 
we weren't a mall. We were a scalpel. I mean, we cut through things like nobody's business. And that, I think, is the best part of DMs that take the source material and make it their own. And Tony's really good at that. I mean, of course we cut through things like a scalpel. We studied Zephyros's manual of tactical brilliance. Yes, see? Self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. And what Rome is going to do is fly around on his ship, mostly as a halfling, experiencing all the things that life has to offer. He's, as you say, a goody two-shoes, so he's going to help wherever he can. He's going to offer himself out to his party, you know, hey, need a ride? Hey, want to go race? Hey, Jake, you want to go get ice cream? That kind of stuff. So basically, he's going to be a dilettante doer of good deeds for as long as nothing else grabs him. So he's going to fly off into the sunset and have a ball. Both of your characters are just so disgustingly wholesome. <laughs> My lawful good NPC looked at the two of you guys and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> Bro. I, I have, Bro. I'm sorry, I have to say this pun before we move on. No. So, uh, Scott, Scott, you can say that you uh, you really liked the tone of the campaign? Uh, uh, <laughs> all right. So. And thank you for killing the podcast, Amber. I'm sorry, I'll go. That's <laughs> good. Going from our lightest characters to one of our darkest characters, Mina, ill-fated Mina, willing to give up her soul for her brother's life. One, Bonnie, what was your, what do you think of the campaign? Final thoughts? And where is Mina headed next? So Scott well said about everything with Tony um, and how he ran the game. I was quite impressed because it was the first time I've ever uh, had Tony running a game for me. It's usually Dave or, you know, Thorne. <laughs> but the Halloween game... Let's see, I was the Red Witch that you spoke of, but, and I had to look at my notes, Morningstar was dressed in fancy clothes with a top hat that talked and acted the same as wearing one and also tap danced. So Morningstar was quite fun. Yeah, he turned into like a 1920s yeah. personality, I think. Yeah, that's <laughs> how I was he, was he the, the singing frog from the cartoon? Was that the deal? No, he was like the guy. <laughs> But overall, I will say Mina is my second favorite character so far. Little one, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, is the first. She just is my personality wrapped up in one with no filters, which is amazing. Mina, though, uh, really kind of came upon her own. And I think it touched a little bit on my darker side in some ways to allow me to have basically a mission regardless of the cost. And you don't get to kind of play role those sometimes. So second favorite, but I will say, uh, Ojin is slowly creeping up into the second favorite with now her new goo worshiping. So lots to play with there. We'll talk about that in a future episode. Lots to play with there still. Oh my god, it's so exciting. They just um, suck wanderers. Yeah. So um, so quite enjoyed everything about it. Uh, where I would see Mina going if we continue. I would think that she goes on a journey for a short period of time to find the Raven Queen, maybe be, you know, um, someone who does her bidding for a little bit to gain her trust. Uh, so that way I can learn the secrets, so to speak, of the of the Raven Queen's world to bring back. Obviously not for my brother because he's perfectly fine now, but you never know. You never know what will happen. Not if, perfectly. <laughs> if the ring gets taken from his hand, does he die really quickly then? Who knows? 
the, the ring is quite corrupting from what we heard. We'd heard that, that, that he was going to become more and more ring and less and less happy-go-lucky Roderick now. Well, that's true. So Mina might have to put him in his place a little bit too. So, but it was it was an artifact. <laughs> What's that about artifact possession? What was that thing again? Somewhere in the DMG? Ego, ego, ego. Uh... We're not talking about the living planet. But it was it was quite a fun time, and I really love being able to play Wilhelmina in all aspects of her. So. All right. So Dave. Yeah. So I uh, because uh, Roderick was so weak, I quickly decided to take Polymorph as one of my additional uh, spells that I was able to gather. So I would oftentimes just turn into the Grape Ape. Uh, so in the <laughs> Halloween game, I was actively uh, built out as the Hulk, which was awesome. I will add, it was also awesome because in the Halloween game, I kind of felt like I was the Vincent Price from the Scooby-Doo series, and it had a kind of a Scooby-Doo kind of vibe. I don't know if it was just me, but that's where that was. No, we pulled um, someone's mask off in that game. There was a Scooby-Doo moment of pulling a mask yeah, off. Yeah, I was like, do you remember that? It's yeah, really it's in there. You, there it's was hard to remember me. after the superhero-ness, but that did come in there somewhere. There, there was a people where with a ghost. that, like, Ghost sheets off of illithids or something? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's right. That's, That's a right. surprise. So many touches. Too many touches um, to a podcast. I, I did also get to say Avengers Assemble. So that was kind of yes. awesome, too. I, I got the keyword. I very much enjoyed the campaign. I said it in the last episode. This was very much less of the updated version of Storm Kings where there's a lot of this exploration and stuff. And that probably would have been super fun too, but we got the against the giants version, uh, which had like a real like romanization for me, like, you know, from my youth. I also learned a ton uh, as we've been discussing it and also playing through it in terms of my own DM style. Roderick has amassed a great deal of magical knowledge and power. And I would feel like he he can see that there are probably additional pathways out there. He has currently ended wearing the ring. I don't know where that really takes him because we didn't really get any chance to uh, in, investigate that. But uh, Zoom. <laughs> with, uh, with the wealth that he has amassed, though, uh, he would probably attempt to to reinstate Drawball Manor as actual nobility and never winter as opposed to a uh, dying nobility. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, he would never have allowed Mina to read the book, though. So that was never gonna that was never gonna happen. So and she would have taken it to do it. Yeah, so so it would have been. It a would have been an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, detente. So I'll wrap up, Tony. So let me go, and then I'll gonna give you as the DM last word on this. So for me, I love the adventure. You know, it was a real just a just a high wind ride through the Storm King's Thunder. You know, I mentioned, uh, I think mentioned last time when we talked about it, like this to me almost had the vibe of like a Final Fantasy game. You know, you're not kind of wandering around in the woods, stumbling over things. You are getting on your airship, you're zipping place to place, you're seeing the world, you're engaged in these, you're fighting these, these huge giants and monsters and krakens. And it just had this super high fantasy adventure vibe. And I thought that was really cool. And, you know, the more we look into it, and now that I've opened the book, because I did not do that before, obviously didn't do it before playing, <laughs> I could see that was a lot of uh, your Tony's hand 
in that. You know, it's really, we got the highest, highest fantasy version of Storm King's Thunder I think you're going to get. In the um, Halloween game was awesome. So many good touches in that. And I do think we should come back around Christmas to bring these guys back out maybe for uh, the crack and the stole Christmas. That is just begging to happen. I think even Jake <laughs> is coming out of retirement. And uh, my character was, uh, was Captain America. And unfortunately, I had passed the slip of paper with Avengers Assemble to Roderick, thinking that he'd be in the back and able to say it. So I missed my line, unfortunately. <laughs> but it was super cool. Like, I was throwing the shield instead of the uh, pole arm. It was, it was awesome. And the whole adventure, you know, I think Scott summed it up the best. It, all these little touches, all these things made the characters feel special. Now, I know in my part of the reason I tend to try to lower things a little bit is I kind of don't want the characters to feel special until late in the game. Whereas you took it right to the top from there. And it, it, you took it right from the beginning, really, and started giving us stuff to make us feel special, and it showed. And people loved it, you know, and all the players, we, we, all, we all enjoyed it the whole way through. So I thought you did a, you did a great job with that. I really enjoyed it. Now, as, as far as the module itself goes, I, I would love to tell people this is an awesome module and picking it up to pick it up. Our version was, I think we all wonder what version, like, like what percentage <laughs> of the version was actually uh, the Watsy version, like but I think it's definitely cool. Definitely, definitely give it a look. What are we up to? We're about to uh, only what? 60% replacement, Tony? About, about 60%? I'm about to concede about 92%. I think at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's like we, it was, they had the frame. You took the frame and you heavily modified it. There was right? definitely giants in this module. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a 7 Chevy with like a Ferrari engine in it or something. And as for Zhang, so Zhang went on, Zhang at the end of it uh, asked if, as a boon from the Storm King, he would want, want it to be his own lord. So the Storm King gave him an island and Zhang, you know, we had some money, we had a dragon sword and Zhang immediately set about building an army and a navy on that island, controlling trade routes, raising taxes and creating his own mercenary force, which he will hire out to the highest bidder, eventually expanding his kingdom because clearly the small folk can't even re re repel a giant invasion. We got it. We got to centralize. We got to build a stronger military. We got to protect the people. And Jang's going to run that. So he's now Shogun Jang is where we leave off respectfully retiring from his Damio's service and starting his own gig. And we'll see I where that goes. I still feel like he's a fascist. I'm just going to say. I just sorry. We're well, not there yet. You know, the, the, the word, has the word fascism been invented in the Forgotten Realms? Jang is invented. Well, military dictatorships. There, there is no kingdom that is not a military dictatorship. That's literally how they build those. It's just a matter of whether, is it benevolent or not? You know, little uh, Discworld Ventanari, you know, benevolent dictator. That's what I'm aiming for. <laughs> and that's it for me. Tony, what are your final thoughts? On, uh, on this beautiful monster you made. My NPC for the Halloween game, this was a tough call. I was going to make him Ant-Man because he would effectively been Giant-Man, and he's a giant, so that made sense. <laughs> but he would have played too much like Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk Roderick would have. He would have had two guys just oversized, hulking out, punching things, so I made him Doctor Strange. That was my decision in there. I gave them a comic book that uh, gave them the power to transform in this pivotal moment of the Halloween game. <laughs> Erasmus at the end uh, beseeched the Storm King to become a full giant, and he granted his request. He used the power of the Worm Skull Throne to turn him into a full Storm Giant, where he will now stay as his court magician. At which point he is now separated from the Erasmus, now wandering around Woodstock Wanderers. We have not dealt with that quite yet. That's that's like super separate. These are now different yes. characters. Yeah, no, he is a Thunderbolt and he's a Storm Giant. So these are, that's how <laughs> I'm leaving that character. Uh, and not half Storm Giant, not 60%. Like, you know, he's got, he's got the full deal. But my final takeaway I want to give everybody is if you are going to present custom magical items like this to the party, some of the advantages are that it gives your players motivations to go to the locations you want. So I'm like, great, here are the 
all these giant holds. Why are you going to go punch in there? Well, all of you individual characters have something special waiting for you. One of them's there. And by the way, I've tailored each of these items to you to the best of my ability. I never asked you what you thought about this, but I've kind of felt your characters out. I'm getting the subtle clues. And I'm like, you know what? Bonnie could really use a cone of cold. I think that would be fantastic. And I kind of like attributed each of you to elemental powers because I love that theme. I'm like, what, what person in my party is which elements? I attuned mm -hmm. these abilities to them. And I said, how can I then, you know, add the flavor to make this feel like you pick this item up and go, wow, where has this been my whole life? Without like you doing 10 D10 Thunderbolts, you know, off of Thor's hammer and just wrecking <laughs> everything because there is a balance. That is awesome. Well, Bonnie, Scott, Amber, thank you very much for joining us. Dave, Tony, thank you very much for, 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 for hanging out on this podcast. We all had a great time talking with you all. And Tony, thank you for an excellent campaign. Christmas Encore, baby. I just flashed my boobs at him. <laughs> you guys couldn't see it. Thank you for and all you playing in my game. It was a lot of fun. And thank you all for listening to this special edition of Three Wise DMs. We appreciate you taking the time to stick with us here. If you like what you're listening to, please give us a thumbs up in the podcast platform you're uh, you're using or five star or however that one works. If you like it, please share it with your friends. Let everyone else know. We've been growing great and we really appreciate all your support in that. So thank you all very much. We often cover uh, listener questions. Clearly not in this episode. We covered our own questions. But you, if you would like to, to, to give us something you'd like to hear us talk about, you can send that email to threewisedms at gmail.com or you can go to our website, threewisedms.com and enter in our what's your problem field and if you want to catch more content we're always doing we do one article a week in addition to the podcast on the website so again you can check that out at threewisedms.com thanks a lot for joining us we'll catch you next time on three wise dms